You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our reading this afternoon in connection with Lord's Day 12, and especially our calling as Christians, comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, the verses 4 through 12. This is just after Peter has spoken about the word of the Lord, its power in giving birth to us as Christians, and which we must continue to take in if we are to grow up in our salvation. And then he continues in verse 4, and this is the word of the Lord. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen priesthood, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our text this afternoon comes from the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Our attention this afternoon will especially be on question answer 32, but since it is so closely connected with question answer 31, let's read that together as well. Why is He, that is the Son of God, called Jesus, our Savior, why is He called Christ, that is, anointed? Because He has been ordained by God the Father, and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us, and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in his anointing, so that I may, as prophet, confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's spread all over the world by now, But it all started in Canada. At least it all started with a Canadian. On July 13, a man named Micah White 
wrote an article calling on all who have, especially in the United States, but throughout the world, all who have been negatively affected by the economic downturn, by bank bailouts, and by corporate greed to occupy the public spaces together and affect change for their generation. This call hit a nerve and has been picked up and echoed by others the world over. This was the birth of what you probably have heard about in the news in the last few weeks, the Occupy movement, which has spread around the globe, beginning most notably and famously on Wall Street, filling parks in Toronto and our own Vancouver, and consuming huge amounts of media, discussion, attention, public discussion, and cultural analysis. One of the premises of this movement, which notably and positively has been for the most case nonviolent and is also a very democratic protest, but one premise is that the, the presence of large amounts of people speaking in unity on pressing matters of injustice can affect change, can influence those in power and can affect real and lasting change. The movement's call for solidarity, it's one of their slogans, and also the all-encompassing, we are the 99%, you've probably heard or seen that on their signs, highlight this impulse. They're trying to represent a broad group, they're trying to speak in unison, they're trying to speak as one. We could say much more about this Occupy movement. It has been broadly and largely covered by the media, and all sorts of different perspectives have been taken on it. It's probably not surprising to you that calls for solidarity and unity, equality and justice are nothing new. But it may be surprising for you to hear that these calls for solidarity, unity, equality, and justice are calls that we as Christians, take up. Not in the same way as the Occupy protesters, to be sure, as we'll see this afternoon. But it is a call that we take up. It is our call. The call for those who believe in those values of solidarity, unity, equality, justice, who can envision a greater good for all of mankind, it is our call to occupy the public spaces of our town, of our country, of our world. To affect change for the righting of wrongs. And to be a lasting influence in the world. That's our calling As Christians, as we'll see it in question answer 32 of Lord's Day 12 this afternoon, I thought about theming this sermon, Occupy the World. In a sense, that's what we're going to be talking about. But I was sensitive to the fact that for some, that is very negative language. Especially for those who have survived the Second World War. Occupy and occupation are very negatively charged ideas. 
But there is another sense in which we are called to occupy the world. We are Christians, and that is our calling. That's our calling based on one profound reality. One profound reality that sets the direction for our whole life. But we need also to consider, flowing from that one profound reality, one profound question. The question that's often the most profound one, the question of why? Why? We'll see flowing out of that that we have three profound callings. In fact, we have three profound offices. But in those offices, we are called to work them out in our lives for God's glory and the sake of the world. We are Christians. We are called to occupy, to be a force, to be a presence, to affect change in the world. Now, this analogy between the Occupy movement and us as Christians, this is not some sort of cute analogy that, that sort of helps serve to, to introduce an idea. It's not just a nice little introduction on another sermon on the catechism that you've heard a dozen times before. No, this is reality. In fact, our calling to occupy the world is far more real than anything that's going on in Wall Street, Toronto, Vancouver, or anywhere around the world. The Occupy movement is a soap opera compared to the reality and the real-life drama of the work of Christ. The work of Christ is for real. And it has affected change in this world. The work of Christ is for real. It's carried forward. It has been carried forward through His coming into the world. And we are coming into the season in which we will remember that time, the Advent season, not only His coming into the world, but our anticipation of His coming back to this world again. Well, the work of Christ is as real as the reality of His coming into the world. As the reality of His death on the cross for the atoning of our sins, as the reality of His resurrection from the dead, that historical fact that cannot be denied. The work of Christ is grounded in the reality of His work. The earth shook when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the aftershocks have not stopped rippling around the world with the effect that that resurrection had for this world. It has affected change in this world. It has to have affected change in this world. He rose from the dead and thereby He conquered death. Thereby God vindicated Him and showed to the whole world that He was the Messiah who had conquered sin. And in whom, and only in whom, salvation could be found. His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, brothers and sisters, is the very reason why we are here today. If it is not real, then we are wasting our time. And all of the, all you are investing into your life as a Christian is worth Nothing. If there was no reality to his work, 
If there was no certainty to his claims of who he was and to the apostles' teaching and proclamation about him to what they were witnesses to, then Christianity would have fizzled out and died. But it has not. It has not because the testimony about Jesus Christ, as we heard about this morning, is true. We can bank on it. It is certain. And our lives are lived not in vain, but with purpose. With absolute certainty of purpose. And for the glory of God and for change in this world. Yes, the work of Christ is real. And the change that Christ affects is real. Someone who... uh, worked a long time in business before, told me that in business, they work on this principle of if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. So if you're trying to oversee something or administer something, you need to make things measurable. And if you can't measure it, then there's no use having it. There's no use dealing with it in order to work effectively and to administer effectively, in order for change to happen, you have to be able to measure what's there. Well, the same goes for our participation in the work of Christ. It has to have a measurable effect. If it doesn't impact your life like like an earthquake, like the earthquake on Haiti impacted that country then you need to check your motivations. Then I need to check my faith. The work of Jesus Christ affects change, and that change begins in our hearts. If the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is having no discernible impact on my life, if I look at my life and I say, I don't know what effect His resurrection has had, what's it all for? Then I need to repent of my waywardness, my selfishness, and my blindness so that I can be restored to Him. And you know what happens? You know what happens at the precise moment that that happens? The resurrection of Jesus Christ has a discernible impact on your life. You're restored to God. And that's only possible through Him. You are brought to repentance. And that is only possible through the Spirit who He sent out once He ascended on high. Immediately you experience the work of Christ and the softening of your heart, the opening of your eyes to sin, and the assurance of forgiveness, and the motivation to commit to His service again. Jesus Christ changes everything, and it starts with us, brothers and sisters. It starts right in our hearts. There is no more profound reality than the reality of Christ. And that's the reality that Lord's Day 12 unpacks for us in in question and answer 32, and it unpacks it in direct relation to us when it says... Why are you called a Christian? Because I'm a member of Christ by faith. Think about that. I am a member of Christ. He who came as the Son of God and has done all this for the sake of the world, who changed everything by His death and resurrection. I'm a member of Him. I am united 
with Him. What He has done is mine. What He has done is for me. What He has done is for you. He died and rose to effect change in your life, profound change from death to life. You are united to Christ. Who is Christ? He's the eternal God. He's the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who has been ordained by the Father from all eternity and appointed by the Holy Spirit to be our our chief prophet and our, our great high priest and the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. He reveals the secret plan and will of God. He's the sacrifice for our sins. He's the one who represents us before the throne of God. And He governs the church by His word and spirit. He governs the whole world and secures the victory against Satan and his hosts. And you are united to Him by faith. By faith. Faith is the God-given means of that unity, of that union. Faith is the tool. Faith is the hand that reaches out and grabs onto all that Christ has done. And when that hold is taken, that hold itself, which is worked by the Holy Spirit, but when that hold is taken, it is incorruptible. It becomes the pipeline that makes the reality of Christ and all that He has done grounded in history, continuing on even today, it makes it a reality for you and for your life. Your sins are forgiven. Your life is renewed so that you can fight against sin. Your life reflects God in His glory. You become more like Christ. It all happens by faith. When you embrace the reality of who He is and what He has done, Is it a reality for you? Is the work of Christ a reality for you? God calls you to put your faith in Him. Not to place your faith anywhere else, but to put your faith only in Jesus Christ and what He has done and in who He is from all eternity. Find your life in Him. When you put your faith in Him, the reality of all that He's done becomes yours. It affects change forever. How is this possible? How is this possible through the work of the Holy Spirit? Answer 32 says, I'm a member of Christ by faith and thus share in His anointing. Well, what anointing is it talking about? The anointing of of answer 31. Because Christ has been ordained by the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit. You share in His anointing, the anointing with the Holy Spirit. That means when you are a Christian, as a Christian, united to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's how change happens in your life. Not by your will operating on its own, but by the Holy Spirit making your will alive. Affecting change for you in your heart. The Holy Spirit Himself, the third person of the Trinity. God living in you. Affecting change. Enlivening you. Helping you. And more and more, making the reality of what Christ has done, the reality for you. 
the all-encompassing reality of your life in every way, in thought, word, and deed. In life and in death. This is one profound reality. This is not two profound realities. It is not the profound reality of the work of Christ and the reality of the Holy Spirit in our life. No, it is one profound reality of the Holy Spirit bringing all that Christ is to us and making it a reality. The Holy Spirit is not working in us. It remains outside of us and is not a reality for us. The Holy Spirit brings near all that Christ has done. He anoints us. He gives us, He makes effective for our life all that Christ has done, and He gives us a profound calling. Through His Holy Spirit, the Christ, the Son of God, occupies our hearts. This leads us then to ask a question, one profound question, in response to the reality of Christ's work. Because the reality of Christ's work and what it means for the world, the reality of our union with Him and the Spirit's power at work in our lives is a simply amazing and astounding truth. Can you believe that God works in you? Yes, you can. But it is astounding truth. But we are in danger of missing the the full weight of this reality if we fail to ask ourselves that one profound question, that question of why? Why? Why does God anoint us with His Holy Spirit? Why are we united with Christ? What are we to do in this reality in which we live? Well, you realize, of course, that we could answer this question several ways. That why question can be answered several ways. But there's one answer that looms large in the way that this Lord's Day unfolds and in the way that that the story of redemption, the history of redemption unfolds in God's Word. The why of this question, of this, this Lord's Day, is answered in answer 32 itself when it says, so that I may. Right? That's answering the why question. Because I'm a member of Christ by faith, I share in His anointing, so that I may. I share in His anointing. I'm a member of Christ. Why? So that I may, as prophet, priest, and king, serve Him. But the question is, what are these offices accomplishing? Well, what they are accomplishing is to bring the reality of his, of Christ's work not only to our hearts. That's the reality that we live in by faith. He brings the reality of Christ's work not only to our hearts, but through us to the world. Through us, as Christians, we are called to occupy the world. Look at the offices that we have. This is obvious with our office and our calling as prophet. As prophet, we confess his name. We confess his name. Where does this confession take place? It takes place in the world. Every week we meet together publicly to confess his name. We do so as a light to the world. Think of the Psalms. Think of, of Psalm 117, which we sang before the, before the greeting of God came to us. We confessed our dependence upon him. What did we sing there? Well, we, we called the nations 
to faith in God. We made this confession in the place of the nations and, and so many times throughout the Psalms, we are urged as God's people to confess the name of God among the nations. We do this in the world. We do it among the peoples of the world as a witness to the world of God's glory and also as a testimony against the world for their false worship. The prophetic calling of all of us, the prophetic calling of the church, is to confess Christ's name, His power, His reputation, His person, to the world. You can also see it in our office and calling as kings. It's quite obviously focused on our place in the world, on our purpose in the world. We are to fight against sin and the devil in this life. Well, where do the sin and the devil seem to have a stranglehold on power and influence? Hopefully it's not in the church. No, it's in the world. That's where Satan and sin exert so much power and influence. If the church is the workshop of the Holy Spirit, the world is the workshop of Satan. The point is that God hasn't called us out of the world so that there could be a workshop of Satan over here and the workshop of the Holy Spirit far away from the world or we can do our things over here. No, God has, has called us as church in the midst of the world for the sake of the world, to fight against sin in the world. He's placed His workshop right in the middle of Satan's workshop. That's our purpose in the world, that we might redeem it from its present corruption darkness, and slavery to sin. I think it's quite obvious in the offices of prophet and king that our calling is for the sake of the world, but what about our calling in office as priest? Perhaps, especially as it's described here, it's less obvious that this is for the sake of the world. Answer 32 says, As priest I present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. Well, couldn't you just sort of hole yourself up somewhere away from the world like a hermetic monk, like they did in the Middle Ages? Get away from the world, get away from all its its sin and all its desires and all its temptations. Completely get away from that and, and offer sacrifices of thankfulness to God. Well, let's see if that's what Scripture asks us to do. I'd invite you to turn to 1 Peter 2 to our reading and We'll look there at what our priestly calling is in, in relation to the world. Now, the whole context of this letter, this first letter of Peter, 1 Peter 2, of course, you can find on page 1,888. The whole context of this letter is that it's written to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Asia Minor. The understanding, the implicit understanding in this letter is that God's people are in the world and are engaged with things in the world. Not excluded, not not coming out of the world, but living as strangers, but in the world and for the sake of the world, as we see in chapter 2. Here in chapter 2, the Apostle Peter in verse 5 is speaking about our calling as as priests And you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. 
What are those sacrifices? Well, go to verse 9. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. The sacrifices that we offer are the sacrifices of praise to God. And where do these happen? In the midst of the world. In the midst of the world and of the darkness out of which we've been called. You see, it's, it's present there in that contrast between light and darkness. The Lord Jesus touched on that in His teaching as well. The Lord has not called us out of darkness to become light so that we can light up the, the inside of a bushel. Right? No, the Lord has called us out of darkness to be lights for the light so that we can be a light in the world. We can bring light to the darkness. We do that by... Declaring the praises of Him who called us. The Lord Jesus stated it simply in Matthew 5 verse 14, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And so this is the answer to the profound question of why. Why do we have this calling? Well, through His Spirit, Jesus Christ occupies our hearts. He occupies the church. And the church occupies the world. That leads us then to consider our three profound callings. Now you notice that I use the word callings there. It's probably more, you're probably more used to hearing the, the wording of office. Our three offices. We have the office of priest, prophet, and king. But notice what the emphasis is on in answer 32. Yes, you have the office of prophet, priest, and king, but it's stating that what we do as prophet and as priest and as king, that is, out of our office comes our calling. We are called to a certain task because of what we are. We are prophets, priests, and kings, and therefore we're called to act as prophet, priests, and king. Perhaps we could say that there's another profound question at work here, not the question so much of why, but the question of how. How are we, as members of Christ and as the anointed, with His His very Spirit, how are we to occupy the world with the gospel of Christ for the glory of God? How? Well, if you think about this for a moment, you'll realize that the answers are many. Many, many Many different ways that we are called to work out our office of prophet, as of priest, and as king. But you'll also realize that for some people and at some times and for various reasons, the answers to these questions can be elusive. How do I, with my life being the way that it is at, my, at the present time, how do I work out my my calling as prophet, priest, and king for the sake of the world. Perhaps you feel like, like your, your life is entirely encompassed by your household. You're so busy serving your family, how could I possibly be a light to the world? Or perhaps you feel so busy working in the church, so busy engaged with activities in the church, that you think to yourself, how could I possibly be a light to the world in this way? And so let's take some time to look at some examples and consider together how we can work out our calling. 
Perhaps one person who may struggle with this question of how is the stay-at-home mom who's at home with either one child who demands a lot of time and attention or many children who take up all of her time. In fact, I've heard this woman cited as the example of whom a calling to be a light in the world simply can't be true because it's giving her an impossible task. How can she be expected to be a light in the world when she's so busy with her good calling of caring for her children at home? Well, the answer is yes. That's how. Precisely in that way. She can be a light to the world by being a faithful mother at home. In fact, I think if we consider many of the mothers in our midst, in our church, we see that although others may see a false, uh, see a dichotomy between serving as a faithful mother and being a light to the world, I believe that many mothers understand their task of mothering and therefore being a light to the world through what they are doing, through raising their children. But let's consider her role as a prophet. A prophet confesses the name of God, and our Lord Jesus Christ as prophet has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. So the prophetic task, as we recalled last week, the task of the prophets in the Old Testament was to bring the word of God to the people of God. To do so, and as this answer is saying, by confessing his name, confessing his power, his might, all that he has done. This then is what the mother does at home, as she cares for her children. She teaches them about God. She spends time in God's Word with them. She confesses the name and the power of God to them as they grow up and all the activities that they do. She teaches them how to confess the name of Christ when they go out. I think of the impact that a mother can have with several children going out into public and doing anything, really. She is a witness by just what she is and what she is doing, by the way that her children carry themselves, by the way that she has taught them and nurtured them to confess the name of Christ. Being a prophet, she would also recognize that She is doing a lot of work of bringing the Word of God to bear on the lives of these young children in her household. But like a prophet has, she has the long-term perspective. prophet knows that their work is not always immediately going to have results, especially for the sake of the world. But think of the profound results and see the profound results of raising children in the fear of the Lord raising them to confess the name of Christ, teaching them about their Savior and all that they have done, and then, in a sense, unleashing them on the world as mature Christians themselves. She has a powerful and a profound effect on the world. So that's the mother staying at home. Let's consider another example. Perhaps I've heard this one discussed as well. What about the Christian school teacher? All of their time, their vocation is, is, is lived in, in Christian circles with Christian students. How can a Christian school teacher be a light to the world? 
If I take my job as a Christian teacher seriously, and it takes up a large part of my waking, and sometimes even my supposed-to-be-sleeping hours, how can I be a light in the world? How can I be a light in the darkness? Well, let's consider the teacher as priest. A priest who presents himself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to God. So the priestly teacher is called to do the same. To live out of the joy of salvation. To constantly drink from the well of the work of Christ on his behalf. On their behalf. And to carry their new life in Christ, not only to what they teach, that's critically important, but to how they teach as well. Modeling for their students what a thankful and joyful life lived out of service and thankfulness to God looks like. Can you imagine the difference between a teacher living in the joy of salvation and doing their work and a teacher living under compulsion to duty, just putting in time, not doing it out of the joy of their salvation? That's profound. The teacher who lives in the daily reality of Christ's work on their behalf and walks in newness life is, newness of life is going to have a profound impact on the students that they teach. And not only to the students that they teach, to their colleagues, and not only to their colleague, but the board and the provincial inspectors and their neighbors at home and everything that they do in their life, walking in thankfulness to God and the joy of salvation is an incredible example and model to others. Let's consider one more example. The elderly widow or widower who's living in a Christian rest home. Let's consider their office as king. They are called to fight with a free and good conscience against sin, the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Does it seem impossible that someone in their later years and having experienced a profound loss and the loss of their spouse are called to be a king? Isn't that a bit of a tall order for someone in those circumstances? Aren't they sort of in the the twilight years of their life waiting for it to ebb away? Not at all. Not at all. Every day of their life Every day of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts equips them more and more to serve in this world, for this world, as kings, fighting against sin and preparing themselves to reign with Him. It is those with the wisdom of experience and many years of the Holy Spirit working in their life who can speak to us to those of us who are younger with with wisdom, can teach us, can teach us about the world, can teach us about trends, and can teach us to be faithful to the Word of God no matter what. And they can teach us out of experience, which is a powerful teacher. And they can also be an incredible source of encouragement and empathy to their brothers and sisters around them as they struggle with fear, uh, spiritual and physical hardships. They may be elderly, they may be in a Christian rest home, but, the whole, uh, but, the, but Satan is still active. The effect of sin is still present all around them. 
And as king, they can continue to fight. They can fight by being a source of encouragement, of love, and of support to their friends and neighbors around them. Not to mention their children, not to mention those that they interact with in their life. Every day is a new opportunity to fight against sin with a free and good conscience and prepare themselves to reign with Christ. And we could multiply examples. What about a retired couple who is healthy and material blessed and has lots of time on their hands? Well, that's not a hard one at all, is it? There are all kinds of options, all kinds of ways to work out this calling, to be a light in the world, to bring the reality of Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection to the world for the sake of the world. This world is, affected as sin as it is, full of opportunities. For every mother, father, plumber, framer, lawyer, teacher, mechanic, bus driver, accountant, hairdresser, etc. Brothers and sisters, we know, we know the profound reality of the work of Jesus Christ. And we know the profound need in our world. We have a profound calling as the anointed with Christ by the Holy Spirit as prophet, priest, and king. So let us be lights in our world. Let us occupy our homes, our jobs, our schools, our towns, and bring the profound reality of the work of Christ to bear on the world for its salvation and joy and the glory of our King, Prophet, and Priest, Jesus Christ and His Father, who is our Father, the Eternal God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.